What's up, Glory family? Welcome to the huddle. With me, as always, Daniel and uh, Jose Gonzalez from Preferred Flooring up in Michigan, Grand Rapids to be specific. What's up, kids? We're here every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Central, to discuss maintaining forward progress in your flooring career. We are starting today off uh, a three-part series built around uh, commercial construction contracts as it applies to the flooring contractor. Um, so the title is, so you want to be a flooring contractor. I've had some, some people reach out to me on Facebook about helping them in this regard, like uh, bidding practices and, and uh, you know, how to read contracts, all this kind of thing. We just had someone in here. What was that yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday uh, the guys we partnered with Epoxy and they're, you know, it's like, how do we even start something like this? <laughs> like, where do you even start? So I would recommend that anybody with that question start with going through the huddle and reading our watching the estimating practices and bidding practices uh, huddles. Those were incredibly good. We had some special guests on that that uh, for quantify. Uh, we've had some. Uh, we had a lot of deep, very detailed information in those in those podcasts. So I would recommend that and then watch this three part series and you'll be well ahead. You'll get a lot of information that'll help you, um, you know, become a material and labor provider should you choose to do so. And um, I'll caution on a few things. It's it's very it's it's a difficult business because of cash flow. Uh, typically, a lot of the contracts only um, you're only allowed to bill once a month, and I'll get into some of that. But uh, without further ado, gentlemen, um, you know how how'd the week go after? You know, since the last podcast, we hadn't hadn't talked <laughs> in between. So just because everybody's busy it's right now, trying busy. To... We're I'm actually had a meeting today with the church trying to finalize the contract and everything. And it's hard when you get the volunteer designers involved that everyone has an opinion and no one can make a decision. Yeah, church boards, um, school boards. Anybody that was the other one. I am also dealing with the school maker. right now. The yeah. principal approved everything, got the superintendent to sign off, and then he quit. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, well, I thought we'd start today off with some common contract pitfalls. So you bid the job, you watched previous huddle episodes, and you learned how to properly estimate projects. You've learned how to send in a good bid, now you have a contract. What's it all mean? So um, if you guys don't mind kind of uh, maybe hitting on one thing that I didn't have on my list, which is how did, how did your guys' Well, let me clarify one thing. You have contracts that you generate and you give to somebody. So, for example, I think Preferred was just referencing, you probably are giving a contract to the church, correct? Correct. Yep. And then you have contracts that come to you from general contractors. 
So you have work that you may do direct with some businesses that you're going to generate a contract and that'll be in a, a, a future episode. But this is in particular in regards to when you receive a contract from a GC to do uh, the flooring portion of their construction project. Uh, in your guys' experience, what is the um, standard pay time that you guys have experienced, like just historically? You're you're looking at sixty days ish. Yeah, so pretty standard. For like us. you said, you can only bill once a month, right? So typically, people are they're they're like your bills have to be turned in by the twenty fifth on an AIA, which we talked about last time. So these episodes, I'm telling you, if you have questions, we have basically told you guys how to build a company in 55, you know, probably eight out of the 55 episodes is specifically about how to build a commercial flooring company or right. a residential flooring company for that matter, if you choose. So the, they want the bills by the 25th for that to go in the billing and then hopefully get paid by the next 25th if everything goes well. But typically I, I always do two months out. Yeah. You can't bank you can't yeah. it. It's... Well, we, we consider like a good payer 45 days. That's, and that's a, that's good. Kinda, you know, you get 60s, you got 90s, we got 120s. I mean, this is not a business for the faint of heart. I want to be clear about that. So that's why I'm kind of starting it off this way, just so you understand, you you have to have some either, either have cash, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, you either have to have a good amount of cash or you need to have a good banking relationship that you can tap into a line of credit when you need to. Because if you have to bill like Daniel was just talking on the 25th, well then they don't turn their bill in, they have seven days to assemble their bill to the owner and so then seven days later they turn in their bill so now you're at like the fifth or so of the next month depending on what month uh how many days during that month but let's say it goes to the owner on the fifth then the owner has 30 days to pay them so that puts it on the fifth of the next month if the owner pays on time this is assuming everybody pays on time so then the owner pays them on the fifth of the next month, and then they have seven days. And I know that this statute is different by state, but in Kansas, they have seven legally, they have to pay you within seven days of receiving payment from the owner. So another seven days means it's the 12th, maybe the 15th. Well, you build the 25th. <laughs> That's 45 days if everything works great. So um just keep that in mind as we get into some of this. But uh, okay, so you got a contract. There are some common pitfalls, and contracts are very complicated. So I would very much encourage you to get an attorney to look at your contracts until you're very versed at doing them yourself. This is for educational purposes, but not financial advice or telling you exactly how to deal with your contracts. We're giving you some pitfalls and some known. Uh, experiences, but this is not in replacement of you getting legal advice. So talk to your attorney, find a good contract attorney, not, not just any family law attorney or something or your uncle that practices traffic, <laughs> get a construction attorney 
that is very versed in construction contracts. Okay, so some of the common pitfalls um, that you'll run across is, and one of the early, early paragraphs in most contracts is default. So default is when you don't uphold your side of the bargain and the contractor has, you know, some tools at his disposal or at their disposal rather. Um, and it's usually listed in the contract what their tools are. But 90% of them, the tools are, they can put you on notice. And when they put you on notice, you have a certain period of time to uh, resolve the situation that got you put on notice in the first place. Maybe your materials didn't show up or your, your short labor, whatever the problem. You have a certain period of time. Now that period of time used to be like seven to 10 days. It's now on most construction contracts that I've read, two to three days. Uh-oh, we got the expert in the house. Mm -hmm. So what are you guys um what are you guys seeing on default from a day's perspective as far as response? You know, it's kind of hard because we haven't really put ourselves in that position yet. So yeah. it, it, it's hard to say how they would act and how other how specific contractors would react. Um we're usually pretty proactive. In, in the in the contracts, it's typically seven days still for us. Okay. And then depending on the relationship you have with that that contractor, it's like, uh, hey, man, I'm not going to get there within the seven days, but I'll be there on this day. And they're like, totally fine as long as you're in here. They're, it's Yeah, so build those relationships and watch those huddles about building relationships because it'll get you out of some trouble. Right. For getting and close to being put on notice and you what, can call them. Yeah, what helps with that is is when the first one comes up and there is an issue, and you can do it within the first one or two days. And then the next time they're like, oh, you're not going to be here until day eight. No problem. Yeah. Just get here. We haven't, yeah. we haven't been hit with that with that strong pimp hand yet uh, of utilizing some of the legalities they have at their favor based off their contract. So, But a lot of the times we're punching out our own stuff as we go anyways. We just did uh, our local chamber. And the only thing on the flooring punch list was a piece of base that the door guys messed up. <laughs> Congrats. Those are all the jobs when you walk away with the low punch list. Uh, congrats uh, to the guys. The crew did it. The crew did all that. So a lot of the times in this, you know, three to seven day period, they're expecting you to give them a plan on how to get back on track in writing. Um, so one of the things is you can negotiate that. If it says two to three days, you know, try to get that to seven days. So you have a little bit more time. So it's a pitfall at two days. It's hard to turn things around in two days sometimes on a big construction project. And again, it still boils down to good relationships. Um, we've gotten probably a handful of letters over the last 20 years where we were not performing the way the contractor wanted us to. And that could be, I won't get into it. Sometimes it's like, lack of understanding on how much can be done in a given day and they didn't have their durations right um you know expecting 2000 feet of ceramic tile to be installed in a day or something uh oh, to, yeah. <laughs> to the fact that you know sometimes we have not been able to perform to the uh perfect level um 
I own that when that happens, but we turn them around. The key here is from a contract perspective, try to negotiate, you know, five days or something. Um, so that's a default. Uh, quick other uh, termination of the contract is a, a, a possibility. They can supplement you and charge you whatever the cost is for bringing in another flooring company to supplement you. Uh, he's he's going to jump on on his phone. He's got to take off, you know. I just uh, realized I had a time uh, overlap, so I got to <laughs> Fair enough. We'll catch you on the mobile. Uh, but so terminate, they can, they can supplement you and then charge you the different, the, whatever the other flooring company charges. Now that is most GCs do not want to do that. That's a lot of extra paperwork. If you'll remember one thing, make their life easy, like easier, the better the experience for your, your contractor. You keep it as simple as possible and it's easy as possible. They don't like problems, so they don't want to be hunting down another flooring company to come supplement you. Your best bet is to, you know, make the uh, proper adjustments and do the best you can in getting their project back up to uh, what they feel is a, a, a good state. Um, the other thing they can do is just terminate your contract and hire somebody else. And then you're on the hook for whatever they pay. So if you got a $50,000 contract and you've done, you've got all the materials and you've done 10% of the labor, well, you've incurred probably 70, 75% of the cost. And then they're going to hire somebody in to come and do the labor. Uh, you know, your competitor is not going to do you any favors. And they're so gonna charge whatever they want. Yep. They'll charge whatever they want. Now, Quick pro quo, make sure that your GC knows uh, that you expect to have daily reports on the hours, the time, the cost of that, that supplementation or that, um, you know, termination and then what they're going to be charging you. But best bet, don't get in that position. So, and then they have termination uh, for convenience in a lot of contracts. And that's just maybe the owner just changes his mind mid midway and shuts the project down. Legally, they got to pay you cost to that date, but they don't owe you any of the profit under those circumstances. So if you have 50,000 in cost, they're legally on the hook for that 50,000, but not your profit. You're going to lose that more than likely. Most courts have upheld that as well. So we haven't gotten in that position, but uh, these, these, this is just knowledge over 20 years. We've been supplemented one time in 20, 21, 22 years, whatever it's been. So uh, those are the termination. Those are the scary things. A lot of this is uh, kind of um, maybe a little bit scary, but it's just the fact. So I, that's what the purpose of this podcast is. It's kind of give you some information and education. Like you said, you've been through it one time in 20 some years, but that information, just knowing that it could happen, like, hey, I remember they said something about this. Let me give Paul a call and see what I should do real quick. Yep. Um, and and playing off of the payment that we just talked about when Daniel was talking about paying on the 25th and we went through the time frame there, uh, another key metric, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts as well, but one thing you want to remember is if you cannot bill till the 25th, and you're net 30 with all your vendors, 
try not to have your materials come in on the first because you're going to hold that receivable now. It's going to be almost due before you can even bill for it. So try to have your materials land at your warehouse or be billed close to the time that you're going to be able to bill. That way you're not out that cash for as long a time. Just a little nugget. Or you can get insurance and send pictures and bill for all the material while it's sitting in your warehouse too. Well, you can do that, but if you're not able to bill till the 25th still, that's true. And your materials come in on the 5th, you're holding that receivable for 20 days. So you only have 10 days left to pay when you when you just bill it. So it's a cash flow thing. Try to get your materials come in. Most contracts will allow you to bill for stored materials as long as you have the proper insurance. And like Daniel just said, you can provide pictures. Uh, okay, another thing on my list was um, liquidated damages. I don't know if I mentioned that, but those are just verify that your contractor is going to incur liquidated damages. Liquidated damages by definition is a dollar figure, predetermined dollar figure meant to give back to the owner for lost, um, lost profit for not being able to be in business. So if you're doing a law firm and they're not able to move in on the day that they're supposed to, and they figure they're going to lose, you know, $5,000 a day in profit, they uh, will predetermine what the per day liquidated damage is. These are not meant to be penalties for non-performance. Most contracts will, like if you read the AIA contract, the standard contract uh, that all other contracts basically derive from, uh, they're not meant to punish you. So make sure your GC is incurring those damages if they're in your contract, because otherwise the GC can charge you for them, but he's not paying them. So it's more of a penalty. So just quick pro quo there. Right. Typically with flooring, we're the last ones in there. So we're on the hook for that almost every time. If you're not trying to stay ahead of it. That is one hell of a good point, sir. The fact is, is because we're supposed to be last, uh, we're not always, but we're pretty near the end of the project. And the time crunch on flooring contractors and painting the finished people is way more stressful than being a concrete contractor at the beginning of the project or a, a you know earthwork company or a steel erector or something of that nature. Uh, it's so early on the project, the pressure is not as crazy as us finished guys. So that that's uh, there's good and bad about both sides of that right because that they'll steal yeah, right work in AC. Well, <laughs> most times everyone that starts in the beginning they, their warranty doesn't start until everything is completed at least we're on the end of that so that way our warranty starts almost as soon as we finish the job yeah that's a good point too uh so your one-year warranty that daniel just spoke about most contracts i think pretty nearly every contract's going to say one-year workmanship warranty. If you, that starts on substantial completion, the contractor and the owner agree on the substantial completion date. So it's usually like Daniel said, one of the benefits of being near the end is your one-year warranty starts pretty close to when you finish the job compared to say 
somebody who was early on in the project, their one-year warranty still is not going to start until substantial completion, which could be four or five, six months after they're done and off the job. So we have, yeah, we have one at a hospital right now where they're still not done and we've done, you know, multiple different phases <laughs> and it's been over, I think it's been almost a year since we've actually even been in there. Yeah, yeah. got some hospital work like that too, where uh, we did the last phase is not even near a year old, but the first phase is two and a half years old and right. we still have to go back and fix stuff on warranty there if it comes up. Now, luckily we did a really good job. I haven't had to do that more than maybe a couple of times and it's a large project. So it's been, it's been pretty good. I wonder if there's a way to, to put in literature uh, to protect against that. If it is phased out. You can ask. Uh, we, there, yeah. You, we did ask uh, on a contract that per phase, per major phase, if you have major phases, uh, I think you can maybe get it through. I asked and it goes from phase one, two, three, just like it just flows across the building um, and they rejected that request. <laughs> so um, don't know if you don't ask. But yeah, ask. A lot of this stuff is just exactly that. Try to get the best deal for your company. A contract before you sign it is just a negotiation. So negotiate it. Um, you know, and obviously working with good companies that you've got a good relationship with is is paramount. But a lot of times when you start out, you get you guys may not have those strong relationships yet, and you have to live by the letter of the law, which is your contract. Um, we talked about the the payment dates and everything, and that goes to pay when paid. Most contracts. Uh, are paid when paid, meaning the contractor is not actually on the hook to pay you. It's the owner that's on the hook and the contractor is there to uh, pass through the money as they receive it and they get a fee on that money. So most, uh, most contracts are paid when paid. Some areas of the country are paid if paid. I would encourage you to fight that. That totally wow. takes all risk off of the GC to pay you. And um, so I would there there get with your attorney on that, but um I've heard that and we're gonna start fighting the pay pay or pay when paid thing and start to put some more terms in or try to get some money down. I've been when we were labor only, we got caught in one of those where one of the biggest construction companies over here went bankrupt and it was yeah. their, one of their last projects on a building downtown and there was extensive prep work and everyone's like, yeah, here, we're signing this, we're signing that, you know, additional stuff. And then once it came down to it, uh, even the people that we were doing work for the flooring store was like, oh yeah, we didn't get paid for this. So we're not going to pay you. And it's like, that's not my contract. That's your contract. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a rough one. We take care of our labor still. We're the ones that are on the hook. And really, that's how you got to be as a good flooring contractor, in my opinion. Uh, most of your subs are not in the position to be in this pay if paid, pay when paid kind of world. You sign the contract, you agree to the terms. 
unless you're letting all your subs read the contract and sign a contract that is identical to yours, you can't, you know, I think it'd be kind of shitty for lack of a better word to then try to hold them to a contract that you agreed to, but they may not have. Right. Um, that, that is correct. I mean, uh, man, like how many lay from a labor only perspective, I wonder how many people actually understand that there is a master contract in which uh, someone has to abide by and, and how many of the original master contracts do uh, the contractors let us really see this before they edit and make it their own? Um, well, the AI we contract is the kind of the one that most other contracts came from. So getting that, and that's public knowledge. I mean, you can get an AIA contract by from Google. Right. Uh, a lot of your GCs will still use the AIA contracts. And there's some stuff in there that's not great for the subs, uh, for the subcontractor, like the flooring company. Uh, but read through that. That'll kind of give you a baseline understanding of how most contracts read. Um, okay, so that's pay when paid, pay if paid stuff. Accepting, uh, okay, so the retainage. Do you guys ever negotiate your retainage amount? So a lot of the time, um, no. well, a lot of the guys that he deals with, we actually don't pay any retainage. So no, that's great. Yeah. The, the guys that I deal with um, are the same people that I see in like chamber meetings and stuff like that. So I'm constantly in those meetings. They're like, what can we do to get the smaller guys, you know, a better chance? It's one, break out the bids more, right? And then number yeah. two is work on retainage. And then- uh, it was crazy because the first couple jobs that we did for some of the bigger guys, uh, they had retainage in there at 10%. And before I even asked, they were like, you guys are locked in at five. That's awesome. That's because Daniel went in there with donuts, helped him out, brought him breakfast and lunch. So, so bribed them with food. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not bribing. Not bribing. It's well, feeding yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the point is, is that most contracts come across at 10% and you can negotiate it down. We've been successful in getting a lot of those negotiated down to 5%. So a lot of it has to do with your past work performance. So you may have to eat crow for a little bit and accept the 10%, uh, but it still never hurts to ask it to be lowered to five. But once you get a good reputation with the GC, most of the time they'll lower it to five if you ask them and some of them have just done it. Yeah. And one of the contracts that, um, and one of the projects we just finished, they actually had it. So it's 10% up until you hit 50% of the project and then you can ask to be lower to five. Yeah. And That's I've also progressive. Yeah. I've also seen it where when you're 50%, they pay you 50% of your, your retainage. I don't know if that math works out the same, but um, point is, is retainage is somewhat negotiable if you just ask. And that's something that you have to realize too, like as a commercial contractor, it's, yeah, you're sending out all these bills, but sometimes this retainage takes a while. Like yeah. you're waiting for a huge chunk of money for longer than you would like. And, and yeah. in some cases that, that could be some of, some of your, your profit margin too, right? Or, or the majority of it because... 
you had to go so tight just to to be relevant on that that bid or that bid market. Um, and it does take a while. And it don't. I'm pretty sure that at some point Daniel and I looked at each other like, man, do we really want to do this? Is this something we want? like we have to build something up? We have to be comfortable. We have to find a way to be comfortable. Um, yeah. And just meet people like like Paul who help you out and, and give you advice and, or they're like we didn't have we didn't have the huddle um obviously when when we were starting so there was no information and nobody talking about it and it was one of those things where you ask but nobody wanted to share information because just everybody wanted to keep it to themselves uh so it's just i do like guys. that daniel i do hear him on the phone um talking about the nego and negotiating some of the contract well hey this says this this says this well i could do this but what about this like if we can trade this off that that would help us out too and it's never any argument i don't ever hear any argument uh, from that guy um from the other side of the line anyway otherwise daniel would drive. i don't want to talk to you anymore <laughs> <laughs> but uh well so, the, no, yeah be, be willing to negotiate and a quick uh comment on retainage our 45 and 60 day comments does not apply to retainage that i've had that run a year and it, it gets ridiculous so just be prepared that your retainage can be held for a long time um, and sometimes not even because of you um, we've had jobs where our retainage was held under no fault of our own for a longer period of time because maybe the electrician put the wall wrong wall sconces in and the 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 replacements aren't coming for three months and the owner's holding all the retainage uh until those are done so it doesn't always reflect on you but you're still being held as part of the contract team the overall construction team um so that's retainage. The last thing I have, which I think is important, is sometimes you'll get a contract that doesn't have any scope to it. It doesn't say what the contract amount is for. Um, if you're bidding what we call hard bid jobs, I'm not sure what you guys call it, but the jobs that are on the street that you're going to compete with, it's open bid. It's the open bid market where any flooring company can throw a number at it. We still bid uh, a fair amount of that work. We like to bid negotiated more, obviously, but those open jobs, uh, we still do bid. And a lot of those contracts will come across and say, you know, scope of work per uh, 09680 carpeting specification, and it'll list out the specs and the drawings, and that's it. I still would ask for a scope. And um, if you're doing a job with a, a more of a negotiated job, then you definitely want a scope, you know, furnish and install carpet, tile transitions, you know, and accessories. And like, because what they try to do is, and this is what the key is, you need to have a scope because your spec may say something about protection of floors, for example, but we exclude protection of floors on our on our bids because we can't be the sheriffs of the project. And I explained that to the GC. I'm like, if anybody has the power to keep people off of our floor or 
be careful on the floor too. Because if you put me in charge of protection, then I have to replace any damage that happens uh, right. from my strings. Well, then I don't want any, I'll put protect, protection down, but I don't, you're not going to have ladders. You're not going to have lifts. You're not going to have this, that, the other, like, I, and they don't want me being the sheriff of their job. So we just exclude protection. If they just list your spec and the, like the drawings or the, the bid documents on without a full scope, well, you're agreeing to that if you sign and you don't have your exclusions listed. So I always ask for a scope uh, exhibit that says what they want me to provide and recognize my exclusions, leveling, you know, skim coding, unless otherwise listed on the bid, we exclude skim coating, additional floor prep, leveling, filling, all that kind of stuff. You don't know what you may or may not have to do until you get to the job and review the slab. And it could be a brand new piece of concrete. I got into a, a long discussion with a good friend of mine. Well, a, a friend of mine in that's also the president of a pretty good sized construction firm. And he he got a $7,000 change order from us. Now we haven't, we hadn't done the work. There's another, uh, nugget for you don't do yeah. you get a change order guys uh but we submitted a change order request or pco as we call them potential change order he calls me he says there's no way it's that bad this is brand new concrete this is that this is the other and i'm like have you been to the site no will you go look at it and then <laughs> then call me right right he oh. calls me back he's like Oh my God, I can't believe that got by, uh, you know, that they let their, their concrete contractor get away with what they got away with. And, you know, we obviously ended up getting that change order, performing the work and taking care of the client and giving them a great floor. But if, if I just sign a document that has all floor prep uh, needed to perform the, the material that's in the spec, you know, specs read very vaguely that way. Well, I'm agreeing to to all this floor prep that may be there. Um, so, and there's other, there's protections within the spec that's in your favor, but I'm just saying the key here is to understand that if you have a full scope that you can mark out, say protection of floors, you know, uh, we've had it like stripping and waxing at the end. I'm like, that's yeah. final cleaning. We exclude final cleaning yeah. as well. You know those kinds of things. Yeah, we do the same thing. And when I do come across someone that's like, "Nope, we still want you to include floor protection," and it's like, "All right, well, I'm gonna break it out then because I'm not gonna include it in my main bid. I know no one else is going to." Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're if we're asked to provide floor protection, we break it out and. We just we're just not cheap with it because we're going to use good quality uh, protection materials because really when you are in charge of protecting the floor, you're also accepting the risk of having to replace because somebody damages it. So somebody spilled their water on, on the red rosin paper that someone else covered it with and it stains your your flooring and yeah learned, or we learned that one through someone else not through us but. Yeah, like RAM board's great for scratches and stuff, but, you know, it's not going to displace weight 
So if they're going to drive a 5,000 pound lift on your tile floor seven days after it's installed without putting half inch plywood down, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just try to stay away from protecting the floors and only do it when we absolutely are required to do it. But that's some of the uh, broad overview, broad strokes of like some pitfalls that these construction contracts that will be given to you uh, may have in them. Thought you guys uh, have any others that come to mind uh, that you've seen over over the course of time here for you? I think we've actually been pretty lucky so far to where some of the companies either just use what we send them and sign it and send it back. <laughs> or um, I've seen like even some of the bigger companies over here, they'll actually do their contract. And then right at the very end, they'll have all of our stuff in there too. So that way there's yeah. no question this is included in there. Yeah. I like it when they have my bid as an exhibit. Right. Yes. I love it when they do that. It doesn't happen with the really big companies around here anyway. They don't do that. But some of your mid-sized GCs that 50 to $80 million contractor, they'll just add your your bid as an exhibit. I love that because it's like, this is now part of the contract. Right, there's no question. It's in there, like it's written in stone. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, when that does happen, you know, it brings up a question. I haven't asked for that to happen very, uh, to be honest, it just either happens or it doesn't. I, I hadn't asked for that to be added as an exhibit just just gotta i'll, I'll report back and let you know how that goes i'm gonna <laughs> start asking uh for our bid to be added as an exhibit to the contract that's a, you know what that's actually a good idea to ask we've never i don't think we've ever really actually asked it's just been there we're like oh that's pretty cool now there is no there is no um they cannot argue that there was a hidden agenda or that information was left out because especially when our we're, we're pretty specific, looking at it from an installer perspective, um, pretty specific as to what and, we included and don't right. include. And going back to the scope too, right? Because on one of the projects they were that we were on, and I think I brought it up before, it's in the scope. It said spec new carpet throughout. What does that mean? That means I'm specking a new carpet. And then they came back with, I don't understand how would you, you would interpret it like that. I said, read it out loud. He's <laughs> <laughs> conversating with the architect, you guys. Like, this guy's like, you guys won the proposal or won the bid, this is it. And then he just said, when Daniel said that, I was in the office and I was like, <laughs> covering my face. Like, what was their uh, intent? Because he said, why would you why would you spec a new carpet? I said, because it says right in there to spec new carpet. Because they want they no. at first they were just going to do an expansion and just do new flooring in the expansion. And then one of the alternates was spec new carpet for replacement throughout the entire building. So I was like, I can save him a bunch of money if I just spec this new carpet. And well, almost did. Almost did. They went with the other manufacturer anyways and ended up being like $20,000 more. So I tried, but he, he did. I think after I told him, read it out loud and tell me how you don't 
understand how why I did that. <laughs> and I, after I said that, he was like, "I'll call you back." <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen I, of course, I, I gotta, I gotta take off. We have baseball tryouts again. So last, Thanks last one. Yeah, sorry about that. I do got to tend to my son, though. He was my warehouse guy today. Did some some inventory for me, so I appreciate that. But now I got to get him ready to rock. Awesome. Good luck, brother. Thank you, guys. We got someone better anyways. There we go. Way better. So what I, I'm still curious, what was the architect's intent in that sentence? They never said anything. They just came back with... Uh, Okay, just give us a price for the other carpet. All right, that's that's crazy. Yeah, so when you are bidding, again, go back to the bidding and, and uh, estimating. And that's the big thing is read and understand what is going on, right? Because if you're not reading that spec, if I wouldn't have read that and I would have just, if I would have just did the that same carpet, I probably would have lost the bid right off the bat anyways, because I know a lot of other people read it the same exact way I did. Yeah. Yeah, reading those, your specs and reading through your construction documents, we did a whole thing on estimating and, and bidding practices, two separate episodes. So I won't get into it now. Go back and read those um, or watch those episodes. But once you get a contract, the whole purpose is then whatever you sent them into a bid. So if they sent you a bid or you sent them a bid for, um, you know, carpeting at a hundred thousand bucks, if you're reading the, the, if you're, if your proposal states a certain carpet, for example, and then later in the contract, they have a different carpet than what was on your bid form. It's funny how they get the dollar figure right. Right. <laughs> some of the other uh, particulars on how you came to that dollar figure on your bid wasn't included in the contract. And, so, And not only I that, did, look at all the figures too, because I've had some contracts come back where it's like, these numbers do not add up. So, yeah. yeah. I've had plenty of contracts come across that did not have the right dollar figure on and oh we forgot this uh one of the most common is they'll act they'll say an alternate's accepted but they wouldn't have they didn't have the alternate dollar figure on there um we've had that happen it's a simple phone call but you must read your contracts and understand what you're you're signing on the dotted line for and there's legal ramifications so again get a construction attorney to review your contracts, I would encourage you to review them with them uh, so that you can learn. Because once you have the knowledge, you can read the contracts on your own. Right. And, and give yourself a few hundred bucks. And don't be shy to give people a call and ask questions and stuff like that. Because I know like millennials and younger, we were like, text me, right? Or email. Why, why are you calling me? But a lot of it can be done a lot faster when it's over the phone, follow-up email, just saying what you just talked about, because you can email back and forth for days and no one understands what the hell is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So pick up that phone and make a, make a, you know, make a phone, make a better 
contract for yourself. I mean, you can work through a lot of those issues that that uh, may come up. But the bottom line is this: you bid the job under a certain understanding. You portray that on your bid form as best as you can possibly do, and then you need to make sure your contract matches that all the assumptions and all the work that you put into putting that bid up. Um, you don't want to be signing a contract that, does, that has stuff in it that you did not figure. Um, and you also, you know, some of these pitfalls we talked about in this is like, you know, if you can negotiate better terms, you should try. Um, that That's the overlying thing. And I think what you can see here from what Daniel and Jose have both said, as well as myself in this podcast, is that you can, a lot of times it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but you will never know if you don't ask. And then there are some things that you just can't agree to. I mean, how are you going to protect a hundred thousand foot of flooring for free, right? And make any money. You're going to be out of business in no time. So, uh, you know, if you didn't figure floor protection, redline that on the contract, send it back to them initial uh, next to your redline and, they a lot of times will agree to your markups or your changes. So don't be scared to another time-saving uh, mechanism is say you get a DocuSign contract, print that sucker off, make your markups, email it to the PM that sent it to you and say, here's my markups. Can you please uh, consider these as, uh, in, and rewrite the contract? And most of the time it happens, as long as it's not something ridiculous or a big contention piece. So that that's my 47 minute uh <laughs> 47 minute uh contract uh um pitfall explanation and deep dive. Yeah, and a lot of it it's it's easy to hear us talking about it, but until you're like in the thick of it, you won't know until you have that contract in front of you and you're reading over you know 15 pages and making sure that everything is is aligning with what, what you submitted yeah yeah and and so if you're watching this on youtube or or one of the social networks like it comment you know subscribe to our youtube channel um i say that to also say if you have a if you get into a contract situation or you you get a contract you don't know refer back to this podcast watch it see if if we addressed it otherwise reach out to us uh we can give you some surface level advice but again i don't want to replace an attorney or act like i'm an attorney i know neither does daniel or jose so we're not giving you legal advice we're just giving you our experience and clearly telling you to get a construction attorney to look at your contracts until you feel comfortable reading them on your own. Right. Eduardo uh, did say that he had a question about Go Carrera, but I think he might have jumped off already. Oh, gotcha. Happy to answer. Let, let me see if he texted me because I texted him. No, he might he might have got busy. Well, tell him to email me and I will give him a call. All right. Well, any closing thoughts there, Mr. Daniel? It is scary when you start getting into all this stuff, but like I said, you're not going to know until you start doing it. So a lot of uh, being an entrepreneur is pretty much 
taking the dive and and hope you, you land good, right? Take the risks. Um, yeah. I would say a lot of this is solved by good performance. So making sure you are, you know, taking care to have the best installers on your team. You know, I will plug Go Carrera, get into Go Carrera, and you know, preferred is the Go Carrera company. Uh, I will say we're getting ready to start building uh, as Go Carrera, building the network out around them. Um, you know, once the company is is live on Go Carrera, we come to your area and build the installer network around you and give you the metrics through the hammer rating and um, and uh, past performance and things like that. So you know who you're dealing with. Right. And the the guys, the guys that we have signed up, um, one of them is really technology illiterate. So I, Ben had to, you know, walk his hand, you know, hold his hand through this situation and sign up and everything. But once he got that through his, his first project, he was like, this is actually kind of nice, man. Yeah. And then the next time I just threw a job on there and he accepted it right away. It's like, yeah, this is what can happen when, when you build something like this, it's, it's, it's not me calling, Hey, what's going on. It's me throwing it up there. You telling me when you can do it and then I'll schedule it. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'm going to read you. Um, I got a testimonial just the other day sent to me. And this is a, a flooring installer out of Kansas City. It says, finally, someone who brought the flooring installation industry out of the Stone Age. Like, you know, exclamation point, uh, points. Thank you, Go Carrera. Go Carrera is frankly the easiest and best way I've ever used to find flooring jobs. No matter where in the country I might be, there's a chance that I can pop open the app and find a project. Now, he works mainly in the Midwest, and we're really strong here, so he has a really good experience in doing that. Um, negotiate. I can find jobs, bid jobs, negotiate the, the money or the schedule. The change orders are easy. It's organized communication between the installer, the, uh, the installer provider, and the customer, and the flooring company all on one app. And did I mention getting paid is fast? This is the only flooring app I will use. Again, thank to thank all of you at Go Career for dragging this side of the of my industry out of the Pony Express era. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to get going because look, we're asking for a lot of data. We're trying to really verify uh, that the installer is who he says he is, and that can take time and it can be a little bit difficult. We need to have documentation on on file for the companies who are going to hire you to, uh, you know, know you're a company, know you're covered on insurance, um, those kinds of things. But once you get to using it, it is very intuitive and easy. And um, we're adding companies, uh, we're adding installers uh, at a very good rate. It depends on the metropolitan area we're targeting, but even in small metros, we're getting five to eight new installers on a daily basis and uh, those turn into full profile, probably two out of those, uh, you know, I'd say probably five or eight in a whole week. Uh, so maybe 10% of those turn into 10, 15% of those turn into full profiles on the application. So um, 
yeah, anyway, that's a quick go career plug. But the point there is know who you're dealing with. Try to try to do good quality work. Communicate well with your installer subs and your employee installers, and then communicate with your GDC well. Though all those things will help a lot. And all these things are really all these contract things we talked about are really just if something goes wrong, then this is their recourse. Your job is to try to keep it from going wrong. So address the things that will um, put you in a bad position, negotiate it, but also your performance is your number one defense. So, and doing work with good companies. Check out the, the GC firm too. Um, make sure that you check other, call other subs. Well, it doesn't matter. You can call electrical subs and drywallers and painters and ask them uh, if they've worked for that that GC firm before and make sure that they're a good company. Right. Uh, so doing, doing work with good companies and then uh, performing well take away most of your headaches. Right. And one more uh, plug before we take off from here is uh, you guys are still giving away the, the Yeti Tumblr, right? Yes, we still have Yeti tumblers to give away on uh, anybody who reaches $1,000 on direct invoicing. So you can invoice anybody through that um, through that uh, part of the application. Just go to invoicing and toggle over to direct invoices, and you can bill Aunt, Aunt Jane for uh, redoing the carpet in her basement from that to to, you know, if you're doing a little side construction project and doing a little remodel or whatever, uh, you can get paid right through the uh, app and you can accept credit cards. And it's it's helped a lot of crews that had to turn down work because the customer wanted to pay by credit card and they wanted to get paid check or cash uh, because they didn't have a way to accept credit cards. All you got to do is be a Go Carrera uh, member and, and you credit cards right and that's the other thing too is i hear a lot of people complaining it's like i don't want to accept credit card because they charge me you know this much percentage well you just build that into your price man that's all yeah. you got like how do you think why do you think we accept credit card because if if i'm pricing everything like i am accepting a credit card then when someone does pay with a credit card it's already covered and if they do pay by check it's just that extra percentage that goes in my pocket in case anything happens later. Yeah, you should figure as uh, figure it just like you said that you're going to accept a credit card. Figure the four percent fee and just have it as part of your bill. Uh, it most of the time is not going to kick you out of winning the project, especially if you're good at what you do. But it just gives you another way uh, and separate you from other installers that simply cannot accept credit cards. I mean, getting a merchant account outside Go Career is not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, it is easy to get if you're a Go Career member though, a Go Career, uh, you know, network installer. So, all right, last plug is FCICA and uh, CFI conventions coming up very quickly. It's in the end of September, what is it? 27th through the 31st or something like that. Uh, I hope you guys can join us there. Uh, it's going to be a blast. And uh, well, I, I don't know if we're going to be there during a Tuesday, but if we are, we'll be shooting the podcast live on location again. We've done that a few times, but um, make sure to get to that one. If you can get to any conference, I've been to the FCICAs, I don't know, for five years and same with CFI. 
and they've always been separated. And I think they'll continue to have some of their own conventions, but this one is a joint convention between the two entities. And I, I can't imagine it not being fantastic. So get to Orlando. It's an awesome hotel, right? The Rosin Chief. Right. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. Beautiful hotel. And they uh, have some really good drinks at the pool bar when uh when the yeah. convention closes down. There you go. Good drinks. And then I will give you a cautionary note. I seen an alligator once when I was going for a run. So. <laughs> That's why I don't run. See? Safety, man. <laughs> All right, my brother. Well, thanks for joining. That's going to end our episode of uh, the huddle. And uh, next week we'll be talking more contract, um, you know, uh, particulars. So join us next Tuesday at three o'clock. And until then, we're out. All right. See you guys later.